Today in Canadian history for March the 17th, I'm Joe Barilla. May the luck of the Irish be with you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick has been credited with everything from single-handedly converting the Irish to Christianity to banishing all snakes from the Emerald Isle. Regardless of your creed, St. Patrick's Day is now seized by many as an opportunity to have a bit of fun and maybe tip back a glass. But for Irish Canadians, particularly early Irish Canadian immigrants, the day was an important connection to their homeland. Alan Rowe is an instructor at Keanu College in Fort McMurray. I spoke with him actually last year about the significance of St. Patrick's Day to the Irish in Canada, as well as the Irish experience in both Canada and the US. I encourage you to sit back with a cup of coffee, perhaps even Irish coffee, and listen in on our conversation. You know, as as a historian, why why St. Patrick's Day uh, worthy of of studying? I mean, isn't it really just a day of people to gather in a pub? Well, that's the modern notion of what St. Patrick's Day represents, of course. Um, and as an historian, you sort of have to dispense with this uh, modern, contrived, commercialized image of St. Patrick's Day and recognize that um, in the 19th century, in particular, it was a crucially important day. Not so much in the Irish homeland, but in particular for Irish emigrants abroad, uh, became the day where the Irish community was acutely aware that it had everybody's attention. Uh, So St. Patrick's Day becomes the day that the Irish community, be it in Toronto, New York, Auckland, Sydney, wherever across the uh, the global diaspora, becomes the day where the Irish want to project their image uh, to to the broader community and the host society. First, how did St. Patrick's Day evolve in the U.S.? Well, Irish Catholic immigrants uh, who dominate the outflow in the early 19th century, and of course, especially during the potato famine of the mid-1840s and early 1850s, Irish Catholics met a significant resistance uh, from a hostile Protestant American uh, population. They were not welcome. Uh, they competed for jobs, and they faced uh, severe backlash. Just sort of visualize the first five minutes of gangs in New York, and you have some <laughs> idea how Irish Catholics fared in 19th century America. So the day becomes a day, uh, St. Patrick's Day becomes the day where the Irish community takes to the streets to march, to show uh, solidarity, to show community strength, and essentially, essentially send a message, uh, don't mess with our community, we're strong and we'll fight you back. So it becomes sort of a day where the masses want to project an image of power and solidarity to the hostile community. At the same time, of course, Irish leaders want to promote a vision of citizenship, um, and they want to promote respectability, because while it may have been in the interest of Irish workers to start brawling, it was not in the interest of the Irish middle-class leaders. They want to project an image of respectability so that they can assert a claim to citizenship. So St. Patrick's Day sort of becomes this area where one group is taking to the streets, marching to show to show strength, whereas the other side, the leaders want to emphasize respectability and order. So you have sort of tensions within the community, but both trying to project a particular image to to the rest of America. Okay, and and in Canada, how was how did St. Patrick's Day uh, evolve uh, uh, differently? Pardon me, in Canada. Well, the main context that makes Canada so different is, of course, that we're part of the British Empire that there's nothing incompatible in the United States, for example, with going to a St. Patrick's Day parade and preaching death to Britain. Uh, That makes you an entirely good American citizen in the mid-19th century. Different story in Canada. You can't come to Canada and scream death to Britain uh, in the mid-19th and late-19th century. So 
Irish leaders in Canada have to find ways to try and reconcile nationalism with respectability within the British Empire. So they'd adopt all sorts of different strategies. They would quite often complain about British rule, but project it in the past, try and emphasize, you know, things were bad 50 years ago, but mercifully, they've gotten much better. And actually, things are are excellent. And, and the Irish are actually playing a great role in spreading the British Empire. It's sort of a weird appropriation, actually. And how about in Toronto? Uh, I, I really love this story of, uh, of the, the pull of Irish nationalism and secularism in, in, in Toronto. It's sort of like the case in New York City, but again, with this added dimension of uh, the situation of the British Empire, you have these recently arrived immigrants, uh, many of whom have arrived in Toronto during or shortly after the famine. There's a major famine influx into Toronto. They're angry, uh, they're militant, they don't like Britain, and they want to organize to try and support nationalist causes in the homeland. Of course, as those, aren't in, those are not compatible with good citizenship in, in good Toronto, the most Protestant city in North America, right? So the, um, the church tries to discourage this. The church says, under no circumstances are you allowed to march with your nationalist banners and slogans and say all this nasty stuff to the British. So they decide to organize their own parade. And they organize their own association, and they march to the streets, and it leads to violence. Uh, Toronto ends up with a reputation, gains the nickname the Belfast of North America for a few years. And eventually, the church has no choice but to sort of back off and accept that they're going to have to incorporate some level of nationalism. Otherwise, they can't control their flock. So you have a situation where it's always a contest between the leaders and the mob, the people in the streets that want to project an image. If they want to project an anti-British image, if they want to embrace nationalism. The church almost has no choice but to accept it to some degree in an effort at least to control it. And then, of course, this is all happening in the early 1860s. Then the Fenian raids um, <laughs> sorts everything out very quickly. How so? Well, in 1867, uh, group of radical Irish nationalists decide to uh, attack Canada, 1866-67. And their plan uh, was to attack Canada, cause a spontaneous uprising uh, of Irish and French Catholics in Canada, seize control of the country, and then barter it for Irish freedom, or at the very least provoke a war between Britain and the United States. Uh, it fails miserably because it was a half-baked plan at, at, at the most generous uh, assessment. But what it does is it really crystallizes this issue of what loyalty means, right? That it's fine to sit there in Toronto and talk about issues in the Irish homeland, and we want to support nationalism because we're good, we're good Irish nationalists. But if Irish nationalists suddenly attack Ontario, it becomes very difficult to, um, to continue that. So nationalism in Toronto's Irish community becomes much, much more muted after the Fenian raids. And so, uh, so there's, of course, discussion of Irish nationalism, but it's in the context of still being a good Canadian. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. They'll restructure what it means to be Irish, and suddenly being Irish is all about, um, again, contributing to Canadian growth, Canadian development, service in the British Empire, and they develop what I call sort of an Irish-Canadian identity, which is not completely divorced from the homeland, but they'll do things like use St. Patrick's Day to try and draw distance from the divisive politics of the homeland. I can't help but be a little interested what, uh, what your take is on St. Patrick's Day celebrations in, in Canada. 
Well, I was quite amused by the effort uh, Guinness made a few years ago to turn it into a national holiday. <laughs> That's right. It's, I mean, in one level, I think this topic is important because, look, at one level, no matter how contrived or commercialized uh, St. Patrick's Day is today, it still is celebrated, no matter how uh, you know, meaningless the form is. It still is celebrated in a way that St. George's Day or St. Andrew's Day or St. David's Day, the other patron saints of the British Isles, they're not celebrated. So the fact that it enters our social calendar in no matter what form is testament to the lasting significance of Irish settlement in Canada. And the Irish, I mean, at the time of Confederation, there are more Irish in Canada than English or Scottish. They're the original Anglophone sort of group at Confederation. So it's testament to the historic significance of the Irish in Canada. Of course, it's almost divorced of meaning these days, but it is at least have that legacy. Today is a day full of Canadian history. A riot at the Montreal Forum spread to the streets of the city on this day back in 1955. The event is often connected with Quebec's quiet revolution. And the first issue of the Kingston Gazette was published on this day back in 1810. And as always, on this day, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW at 90.9 FM in Calgary. The executive producers are Joe Barima and Mark Affeld. Original music is provided by the Fisk, Fletcher and May Trio. This series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. For more information on the series, or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cgswcom slash Today in Canadian History. All right, a wee bit of St. Patty's Day trivia to impress all of your friends with at the pub. St. Patrick the man, yes, he was real, wasn't born in Ireland. He was born in Britain and was likely kidnapped by Irish raiders, or pirates, yes, Irish pirates, and taken back as a slave. Mm-hmm.